0: that you joe back there look at that you got a new job mate Yes, look at that so is this thing working it is thumbs up from steve that's good what a fantastic song to start with and kick us off in our new mini series a bit more mini than what the last one was five sundays and the other was three So, uh, let's see how it works out. I'm going to do a Bible reading first today. It'll be in Luke 10, 25 to 42. And I won't say much about it to start with. In a strange sort of way, it brings the two thoughts that we have together today, family and hospitality. But don't try and find it just at the moment, because it might be a little bit complicated. But uh... Bibles or iPhones, if you're following, Luke 10, and we're going to be beginning reading at 25. It's a story of um, what many of us know as the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> There's another little bit after it as well. Okay, here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Excuse me. He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. You could say it's a waste of wine, but anyway. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so we've been three weeks in Haggai, a book in the Old Testament. And um, I just want to make some connection with that, what Steve's been doing over the past three weeks. Um, Haggai, we were looking at issues to do with a physical building uh, known as the temple. Um, this once magnificent building was the pride of the select and chosen people, the Jewish nation, and uh, this building had been raised to the ground by the overrun of Israel's enemies. So this select and chosen people of God had become the subject of ridicule, frustration, dilemma, and dejection. It's not what they wanted. It's not what God wanted. But in the wake of this historical mess... The intent for world domination by ruthless warriors leaves a rabble with a pile of rubble. That is, until God, the lover of people, intervenes. Which we saw as God came to the prophet and said, now speak to the nation. I'm God, I love you, I'm still here. In effect, God was going to be that portion to bring them on from where they were. And then a Persian king Cyrus emerges in the story as an unexpected and providential intervention. This would enable this select and chosen people in recovering their pride and purpose initially by rebuilding the temple, that building that was a pile of rubble. This, however, would only be a temporary And partial arrangement as God's redemptive purposes had a greater and more inclusive plan to be birthed in history. These people will be involved in that, and it wouldn't be not in the too distant future from that time that we were reading in Haggai. Things were on the move, God was bringing things into place. Let's call it the church. That's what was in God's mind. That's what was in his heart. A very special select people who would be brought together as a family, not as a building, as a people. So church is family. As we steer away from Haggai and those final prophetic days recorded in what we know as the Old Testament, the word of old over the old testament directs us to expectation and hope in the second half of our bible's entitled the new testament by the use of the word new it must be taken that what is exposed in the new testament as new was always to be the grace-filled fulfillment of prophecy what god was doing a greater thing it would open out it would include not just this select chosen nation of people, but eventually it would come down to the likes of you and I, which is so amazing. In Haggai 2.6.9, this is what we read, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord. What a lot to take in but a wonderful word of expectation and hope. And that expectation and hope continues right down till today. That is one of the wonderful things about God fulfilling his word then and now, is to give us something great. So what about it? What is this new house? Well, it would be spiritual and not physical. That temple, the building, was very physical It included a lot of work, a lot of skills, but the new house would be spiritual. And although the church demands work and effort, it's not about building physical things. It's about building a spiritual house, a spiritual people with a purpose and a motive. This church would be indestructible and not subject to failure like the old testament however great and subtle the attempts to destroy it just take note of this jesus said let's hold on to this i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or overcome it depending what translation you read what jesus was building would be indestructible Although it would be harmed, it wouldn't be touched. Although it might be hurt, it would never be wiped out. Although it would pass through the most troublesome times, it would finally come to its full conclusion at the end. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not a proviso. What is a proviso? It's a condition attached to a statement. It's a statement. It's not really a promise. It's a fulfilled promise, even spoken then. So what Jesus said was a fulfilled promise. Neither is it a qualifying statement, like small print or an addendum, it is truth. Very often you get books that are written and they have an addendum at the end trying to put straight something that was earlier recorded. But that will never happen with what Jesus said at that time. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what are we, we do in this room as the church of the living God for the glory of Jesus Christ who will succeed if we do it in his name? And nothing can touch us to the glory of God. Let's hold on to that. We're about an indestructible work which Satan can't touch. He may upset us for a little while. He might get in the way. But what we're doing in Jesus' name is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of God's rightful conclusion of history. This is the triumph of history. We're working with the triumph of history. This morning, did you know that? We're working with the triumph of history. We're working with the victory of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the end of the story. He wins, and so do we. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, prevail against it, or do anything against it. You know, history records many attempts to destroy and actually negate the place, purpose and power of the church. It's done on the news. It's done in sitcoms and productions. It's done on chat shows. And everywhere we turn, there's this thing trying to... The words that are used that try and negate the church. To try and put it in a place lower than what it is. But this morning we're celebrating the church of the living God. We're selling church as family. As we look out there, we can see church as an institution. We can see groups of people who actually gather to personalities. And the name of that person becomes very big and very great. And people sometimes flock to them for its good teaching or for some other reason because just because it's a big church sometimes you know just the crowd attracts a crowd sort of thing If you see what i mean but history records attempts to destroy and neglect the place of the church but you know what they only become stories of battles won none of them fail Everything set against God, church, will become a battle won, whatever it is. The end of the story is he wins, and so do we. So Steve began this last series with Whose House, followed by Whose Eyes, finishing with Whose Purpose. This morning I want to take up this first message, Whose House. I want to use it to launch a series of five on the church as family. I just want to probably overemphasize the family part rather than the hospitality bit, because this is really something which is close to the elder's heart. That beacon should be a family. We're not an event. So this this morning, although it's an event, it's not really the church. The church is family. And that's how we need to see it. It's how we want it, want it to be. We need to feel part of something that's going on. In the New Testament, Hebrews 3:6, Steve said, Whose house? Now, those two words together are found in Hebrews 3, verse 6, and it's Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So whose house we are? This is the magnificence of God's house. It's not in bricks and mortar, stained glass windows, brilliance or architecture, or even corrugated tin shacks, or in no buildings at all. Some ascetics will say, we don't want a building, we'll meet out in the country, in the woods, in the desert, or whatever, as a form of asceticism. You know, just to raise the profile of people. But it's the family which best describes God's heart. Not buildings or anything. It's people. And when we're looking at Acts, I remember opening that up and said, it's not about buildings, it's about people. It's about people. And hospitality forms a very large part of people when they are together. Hospitality, but it also is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whatever we do in reaching out to other peace, hospitality becomes the firm part of what we do. What is hospitality? Well, we could think of invitation, welcome, accepting. But that's what the gospel of Jesus is, isn't it? You've, Jesus invites people to come to him and share his life. He invites people to take up their cross and follow him. We invite people to come to church. We invite people into our homes. The gospel is full of invitation. The gospel is full of welcome. We welcome one another. We welcome the Holy Spirit. We welcome visitors and friends and neighbors. They're welcome. We hope people are welcome in the presence because we're a family. But it's full of accepting, too. And that's sometimes more difficult than what we realise. Accepting one another as Christ accepted us. It's difficult, it's hard. Sitcoms and films have had their go at the family, too. There's Family at War. Some of you are maybe not old enough to remember that TV programme. It showed all the aspects of internal fighting and struggles that get on between relationships, family at war. Sometimes the church is like that too, shamefully. Family at war. Then there was Swiss family Robinson. The family that got turned up on Desert Island and built their house and started to live there. And there was the Adams family. Obviously, you've seen that, Peggy. (laughs) Wally's seen it too. They laugh. Then was Instant Family, film called Instant Family. How do you get Instant Family? Not certainly not in the church, anyway. Mrs. Brown's Boys, Till Death Us Do Part, Gavin and Stacey, with 8.8 million viewers over Christmas, were all aspects of family. The last three I don't watch anyway, but I know that they're there. Paul said, that's God's servant, Paul, who God chose to be a special messenger to us, the Gentile people. He said, for this reason, for what God's doing with people, a family of people... and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever how wonderful do you think this church is this morning I just wanted to for us to grasp how amazing church is with all the ridicule and the negating that's going on around us how God's with us this morning through the power of his spirit because this is where his heart and his love is. Don't you think it's telling that God made his home within a little family there in Bethlehem? It's a hymn that was written it meant something like this. He didn't come to ivory palaces and places of importance. He came to a simple, humble family that's where his heart is and that's where his heart is this morning not institution not well-known names but as a family he made his home on earth within a family i think that's such an amazing thing that god makes his place amongst a family church is a family not an event. So I've got a little video about penguins. Video one, thanks.
1: To breed in the coldest place on Earth, emperor penguins must also become part of a crowd. Their chicks are born in the depths of the Antarctic winter. Their only protection from the cold is their parents' brood pouch. But as winter storms set in, this isn't enough. As temperatures reach 40 below, even the adults' only chance of survival is to huddle together. They start to waddle with a single purpose. All converge on the same central point until a huddle begins to form. Each penguin must find a place to tuck in. But by speeding up the action, it's clear that something more organized is going on. Soon, the huddle numbers thousands and still more keep coming. While those on the outside take the brunt of the storm, those on the inside take tiny steps that move the huddle in waves. The densely packed penguins continue to shift and rotate from the center. By keeping constantly on the move, no penguin is left permanently out in the cold.
0: I'm just going to remind you of some of the things the commentator said. To breed on earth, the emperor penguin must also become part of a crowd. A sense of belonging is a sense of survival for people, as we as a church We need to become part of the crowd. The only chance of survival is to huddle together. That's the importance of meeting together as Christians, in groups, in the week, huddling together. They waddle with a single purpose. What is our single purpose as a church, as a family? they waddle with a single person that's to stay together and to keep together because that's a safe place the church's family should be a safe place it is a safe place and so they waddle with a single purpose what is our single purpose they all converge on the same central point to keep together instead of wandering off on their own converging to the same single point That's, that could be our teaching from the Bible and what we believe as, uh, as a family of churches what we, what we believe about Jesus you know agreeing the Bible talks about agreeing in our minds and believing in our agreement together being in one mind being unity together The other thing he said, there's something more organised is going on here. (laughs) We don't know what God's up to amongst us. You know, as they sped up the film when you saw the movement, something more organised was going on there. And you know, God's at work amongst us. Sometimes we're not sure what's going on. We have an inkling. And it's something like this. Others keep coming. Did you hear that bit on the film? As they move, as they focus, others keep coming. Each penguin must find a place to tuck in, taking tiny steps. Sometimes our minds and sometimes our actions, sometimes our intention wanders off from what and who we need to be as a church, but we need to tuck in. We need to tuck in. This is all part of family, isn't it? Not wandering off on our own, but tucking in. And the Last thing he said was, by keeping constantly on the move, no penguin is left permanently out in the cold. To be isolated and on your own is a real need. But, you know, the church, you know, is here so that no one is left out in the cold. You know, tuck in. Get involved. Be part of the family. Take simple steps of discipleship to getting to know Jesus better. Become part of a real part of the family. Tuck in. Because this is an important place to be. Which leads us on to... In a sense, there's a natural hospitality going on amongst those penguins because they all work together. But they're all doing the same thing for the benefit of the whole. And that's where hospitality comes in sometimes. What I do, what I say, what I think, how I act, how I react, you know, is it for the benefit of the whole or is it um, I'm just serving my own selfish purpose or just feed my own thinking? It's about me. No, it's about us. It's about the whole community, not just me. Because sometimes we get very focused on ourselves and what we want. Hospitality, from the biblical point of view, is a spiritual gift. It's the ability to serve in a way that builds others up. Hospitality. What do I do and how do I do it? Is it not just for me? Is it for the benefit? Of the whole, of the whole community, the whole family. And that's how I need to think. I haven't always thought like that. And I'll tell you about it later on. So it's it's a spiritual gift. It's spiritual because that's what the Holy Spirit wants, and that's what He wants to create within us. The heart of serving to benefit the whole, the hospitality. That's why groups are important, that's why church is important. Generally, modern culture has become quite social. Social media is very social, that's why they call it social media. Because it's a very bonhomie, getting on with one another, but very often it's just words only. And it becomes quite shallow, not always, but it can, can become quite shallow. I can go out in the world and the people are very matey, until you say something that might just slightly upset them. And self-preservation kicks in. And self-interest kicks in. Self-appropriation is a very strong force. And you could lead on to justice and how that works in life. Justice is very important too, but true justice True justice is God-determined because really, in the end, it's only God who knows. There's a case going on at the moment, isn't there, about the American Anne Sekulis and the Dunn family, the American lady claiming diplomatic immunity in a situation which has become very difficult. Where does justice stand here? I think we, in a sense, if we went round the room, we'd find a slight variation on justice and what it really is. But what is God's justice in all this? How does that work to benefit the whole and not just the individual? A clip two there, Mick, please.
2: I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And... I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did but i see i i personally want the best for you and i i wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone but i don't even want you to go to jail i want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
0: Guy's brother had been shot by the lady police officer and she'd been convicted to 10 years in jail. And that was his reaction. And what is true justice? What is true justice? It's hospitality that goes beyond what we think as hospitality. We like to think of hospitality as making friends and welcoming people into our homes, giving them lunch and dinner. But in a sense, hospitality is a very, very deep thing, an important part of the family. And how far, how far are we prepared to go? Jesus went all the way because he reached out to us. He gave his life for us. Circumstances in our upbringing and uh, can be overwhelming events sometimes and they can affect us for the whole of our lives. What we do by the way of reaching out to other people and welcoming people into our orbit, you know, can be quite difficult sometimes. My personal testimony is like that. Um, It's not that drastic, but the many struggles I had I'm an only child my mum lost two babies one was stillborn and would have been older than me one lived for a short time was named Miriam and would have uh, been younger than me my mum then had serious depression and my uncle Barney was sent to live with us for a while to help her after a while, she fostered two boys from Dr. Bernardo's, and Uncle Barney went back home. If I look back on my own life, I think those early years affected my life, if I think about it too much. And I struggled with self-appropriation, lack of confidence, keeping things to myself, being only inward-looking, antisocial, and in the early years of my marriage, I wanted all Margaret's attention when her evident love for Jesus set up walls of <coughs> resentment which made me grumpy and introverted I have so needed the Holy Spirit's help to overcome these sort of things difficult issues which prevented me from being hospitable and I still have to work at it the way people see you is sometimes different than you see yourself just opposite um, Beacon Centre, there's Bogner Drive and um, Peter and another guy who worked for me, I, they went up there to do, to do a job. I'd already been to the house and assessed what need, needed doing to there and, uh, you know, we, we got on well, there was no problem. But um, when my son and this other guy went to work in this man's house, he says, your dad's a miserable old git, isn't he? might I think the same, I don't know, but but, um, it didn't trouble me in any way. I mean, in myself, I feel happy, I feel friendly, but it's just the way I came across. I mean, lucky my my son is a great defense for me, and he stands by me, and he's good. But, um, you know, it just makes you think sometimes, doesn't it? How hospitable am I really being? Here's some help prayers I've prayed, and I regularly do this. To love my wife as I should and be a husband. To love my children as I should and be a father. To be friendly and be a friend where I can. To be understanding. And I find that I need to pray that more and more. How can I be more understanding in situations, especially towards other people before I go to an interactive meeting or the like I pray this set a watch before my lips renew a right spirit within me create me a clean heart oh my god I'm amazed at what rubbish can suddenly appear in my mind and affect my heart sometimes it's just the way someone else looks at you, isn't it? Yeah? And your mind goes AWOL to all sorts of things. Because we need, I said earlier, hospitality is a spiritual gift. And the Holy Spirit wants to develop that within us, to be hospitable. God's healing through the power of the Holy Spirit is truly amazing. And When I was praying about this morning and what we might do as ministry... The Holy Spirit gave me this word, difficult. What do you find difficult, if anything, about church? About group? About anything to do with what we do? Now, I think we've each got our own little problems and difficulties. But I just felt this morning that the Holy Spirit wanted to bring those things to the fore so that we might bring them to him. What do you find difficult? Maybe it's people. Maybe it's the way someone's looking at you across the room. Maybe it's the way someone talks in group. Maybe it's you don't seem to get an opportunity to say something in group. I don't know. Maybe it's you want to say something on a Sunday morning, but you just haven't got the confidence to get up and do it. What's your difficulty? The Holy Spirit wants to help us with all of these things. The gospel is a powerful demonstration of hospitality in its truest form. We read Luke 10, and you say, well, where are these issues there? Well, I just want to take some simple things out of that. The, the good, what we know as the Good Samaritan, he offered to go up to this man who'd been robbed. He offered to go up to him and help him. He also offered to pay for his keep in the inn. And I just thought, is there something in church I need to be offering to do? Sometimes we just sit back and not say something. Maybe you see a need and you want to offer to do something. In a few weeks' time, we're going to have a meal out there together as a church family. And something very special happened in that event. Derek's offered to supply puddings. Thank you, Derek. It's because he needs a pudding. (laughs) Derek needs a pudding, so he's offered to supply puddings. What could you offer to do? What could I offer to do? Hospitality is about offering. When I first met John and we started having meetings together, I was decorating my lounge. I had some pipes in the corner. And he says, can I build you a boxing in for those pipes? And I said, yes. Did you, John? Do you remember? He offered to do it. So hospitality is about offering. What can I do? it's about offering. Hospitality is about asking. In Luke 10, Jesus asked the question and the lawyer asked the question. Questions are a good starter for conversation. Questions you say, I I find it difficult to witness. But asking is a good thing in hospitality. Asking someone how they are. Asking what they've been doing. And if you remember when Martin Gibson came to us from Maidstone, he said, I find it difficult to witness. So he says, I've come to this conclusion. He said, um, I ask people how their day's been. Asking. Simple thing in hospitality. And the other thing is listening. Mary was known for her, wist- her listening To what Jesus had to say. Martha welcomed him into her house. That was hospitality. And we know that Jesus had a real home in Mary and Martha's house. He was welcomed there. Hospitality. How important it is in God's family. I'll close with this. Little boy was playing in the street, kicking the dust, jumping off walls. My wife happened to walk past him with our five children, which caught the lad's attention. He watched from a distance for a while and then plucked up the courage to jog over and ask, Are you going to a party? My wife quickly answered, Yes, we are. We call it church. If you go and check with your mum, you can come with us. That little boy ran home and was back in a couple of minutes with a huge smile on his face. That Sunday, he stayed for a cup of hot chocolate and left before the service began. But he was back the next week and the week after that. Pretty soon, he had brought his mother, his brother, and a couple of his cousins. Eight years later, they are an integral part of our church. One of the most moving moments of those years was when the boy's mother was baptised. Standing waist-high in water, she explained a little of her traumatic childhood her years living rough and something of the struggles of trying to hold her own family together. Her face shone and her voice clearly articulated her love for the God who had found her and welcomed her home. The idea that had caught her son's imagination was that church was like a party that he and his family were invited to. Until then, they had sadly mostly experienced what it was like to be excluded But the discovery that church wasn't so much an event you turn up to as a family you belong to was life-changing for them in fact it was life-changing for the whole church so if you feel you want to engage with the holy spirit as we enter into worship um, feel free to stand you haven't got to stand but just feel free to stand And I'm just going to welcome the Holy Spirit as we move on into worship now and ask for him to help us and deal with us, to overcome our difficulties. Sometimes our little difficulties are big problems. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit, as we engage with the Holy Spirit, we just might want to offer and ask and listen in the context of family. So, if you want to gauge with the Holy Spirit at this point, then feel free to do that. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit, to the gathered church because that's.